Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Dodger Dudes Show with former Dodger pitcher Brett Tomko and his Sandlot buddy Josh the Duker Luke. The Dodger Dudes talk Dodger baseball, Sandlot stories from their youth, and share what it's going to take for the Blue Crew to win the World Series. Don't forget to answer our weekly poll question and fan poll on Twitter and Facebook. The Dodger Dudes Show is part of the Believe Sports Network online at BLEAV.com. The Dodger Dudes believe in the Dodgers. Do you believe? Welcome back to the Dodger Dudes podcast with uh, Josh Luke and my co-host, uh, Brett Tomko, former Major Leaguer. Brett, how's it going today, bud? I'm doing good, man. Glad to be back on. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. A lot of uh, chatter out in the community. Our social media handles on Facebook and Twitter, The Dodger Dudes. No S in Dodger, The Dodger Dudes. Had some awesome fan polls. It's funny, that one pan- fan poll, Brett, I wanted to hear what you thought on this. Uh, I said uh, on the fan poll, it said, hey, if you can only have one of these pitchers in the postseason roster, who's it going to be, Dustin May or Gonsolin? And May took the early lead, and then over a week or so after Gonsolin had two good outings, he ended up he ended up on top. So as, as we speak now, going into the weekend, uh, the last weekend of August, if you had to pick one for the playoff roster, who are you going to pick and why? Uh, I mean, I think I'm going Gonsolin. Um, you know, I think, I think May's young, um, you know, I think his stuff and his mechanics, he's going to be a great pitcher. Um, You know, I watched the Gonsolin uh, start against the Yankees and he just seemed to be a little bit more refined and a little bit, you know, that was a great start. Yeah. And I I don't want to say like he, he has a better idea what he's trying to do with his pitches, but um, you know, he works it. There's nothing like overpowering or like a Verlander where he's just coming at you. But, you know, he kind of like orchestrates and kind of picks and it's like he's putting a puzzle together of how he's going to get guys out. And it was it was really interesting to see. I hadn't I hadn't seen him too much where I really sat and kind of dissected what he was doing. But I was impressed. I mean, he went through a, a really strong Yankee lineup and, and, you know, threw the ball quite well. So I think that would be my right now with a month ago. That would be me. That would be my pick. I think I even got on our Twitter and, and might have clicked him, I think. <laughs> there you go. Hey, uh, so Brett, we like to start start the show with uh, put us on the mound, like take us back there. But um, today we wanted to talk about uh, Dodger pitching, Hinjin Ryu, a little bit of Kershaw. Uh, we already talked a little Gonsolin, but uh, Hinjin Ryu's last couple starts have been rough. And this is, uh, as Jerry Hairston said, without hesitation, without debate, this is the Cy Young Award winner in the National League this year. And ever since Jerry said that, I think he's gone out and got shelled. So put us on the mound in your playing days. When you've like been having a good year and then you just have two bad outings in a row, what are you thinking about? Is it mechanics or was it just a bad day? Tell us what you're thinking. Well, I can flip that the other way. Um, 2003 in St. Louis, my first half of the season was as bad as anyone in the major leagues. Most hits allowed, highest ERA for the first half of the season. And you sit back and you're like, what is going on? Um, 
you know, you know, you can get people out. Tony LaRusso was great. He pulled me in his office every start saying, he's called me big guy. He's like, big guy, I'm running you out there every five starts, every five starts. You're, you're my guy. Um, you know, I got to the all-star break and this is, it, this is kind of where I'm going with mindset. It, it, a lot of, I think has to do with mindset. Um, when it comes to stuff like this, going into the second half of the season, it was, you know, I was talking to my brother. I, I think I was, I think I was going up against Weaver, um, Jarrett Weaver at the time. He was like, like 12 and one or something crazy. And I'm sitting at like four and seven with like a five and a half, six ERA or I think I was in the six actually. And I kind of had the mindset of like, ah, I don't have much of a chance this, this, uh, this outing. And my brother said something kind of profound in, in terms of, we used to play this game growing up called Stratomatic. And it was a game that was all based on rolling the dice and it was stats and it was statistics. And it was whatever you rolled, you roll the five, you look at down this, you pop over here and that's determined whether it was a hit based on your stats against the hitter stats. And my brother <laughs> point blank said, you're out of your mind. This is not, it's not Stratomatic. Like when you walk <laughs> out there, you're O and O. You have a zero ERA. You guys are on the same plane. You're the best pitcher out there. For, you know, you're the number one starter on that day. And it was really something that was like, yeah, I mean, it sounds so simple, but you're right. It doesn't matter what your stats were. So I took that mindset out there of I'm going out there and we're going to battle. I'm O and O. I'm not, I'm not two and seven. And it, it changed the way I thought about the game. And on the flip side of that, that second half was one of the best second halves I've ever had in my whole career. I ended up winning like eight games with a low two ERA. In the same year that I was the worst pitcher in the National League for the first half. It was the same guy, same year, but just different mindset. I went out there with really nothing to lose. You know, it was it was a situation that, you know, I had already <laughs> I had already not made the all-star team or have a chance of that. And now I can go out there and I can just pitch and not worry about my stats, not worry about any of that and just go out. You know, and it's something that he may have to do for the season is just forget the last, you know, three games, four games, whatever it is, and, and just forget about it. Go out there, try to reestablish what you had been doing the first half of the season and go about your work. There was a reason why he started the all-star game. He was the most dominant pitcher in the National League. And it's just something that he has to get back to before the end of the season going into the playoffs. And I'm not saying that, that that's what's going on, but your mind is a crazy thing. And I don't know, we can get a little more deeper. I think there's, there's more going on, maybe a little bit of pressure going on with the whole Cy Young thing. Um, you know, getting later in the season, I think there's a lot of stuff that we can maybe get into, but you know, mindset is a, is a, is a dangerous thing. If you're not in the right frame of mind when you go out there, you're facing the best hitters in the world. And if you're not on your game physically and mentally, then that's a, it's a recipe for destruction. Yeah, and I want to come back to what you just said, mindset, because uh, as, as listeners know, I'm a, I'm a fantasy geek. Brett's brother's a fantasy geek. But Brett, as I've come to know him doing this show, he, he's, a, he's very stat uh, aware too and loves to go to certain stats to see what's going on. Uh, I want to ask the listeners and Brett later if, if Kershaw struggles in the first inning because it sure seems like to me he he does, even though he's he's having really a, a great streak. But we'll come back to that. I want to throw some numbers at you. Hinging Rio's last three starts, granted they're against two playoff teams and a good Arizona offensive team, um, 14.2 innings, 18 earned runs. That's an ERA of 12. Cool. In his prior four starts, Four starts, he gave up two earned runs, and his ERA was 0.5. So 
granted, Atlanta, New York, Arizona, I mean, those are good offensive teams, but hey, the playoffs are coming. And we, we don't have room for any excuses. So, so you just heard Brett say it's mindset. Have you seen anything in particular? You watch, you watch games from time to time. Um, you watch the Dodgers quite a bit. Have you seen anything that you think is off, Brett? Well, this, this is what, you know, in a nutshell, and I know I've read some stuff earlier today about fatigue and they, they don't think that it's fatigue because the big thing is his, his velocity hasn't dropped. And uh, I was texting Jerry Harrison back and forth um, just a little while ago. And, you know, I, I know as a pitcher, there were games where I'm, I'm still throwing 95, 96, 97. Doesn't mean I'm fatigued. The first thing that goes when you're fatigued is location. That's the biggest, I think, red flag. Um, whether it's in a game or just one single game or a string of three games or four games, if guys aren't hitting their spots like they were earlier in the season, it's going to come down to two things. They're hurt or they're fatigued. And I know they're saying he's not fatigued. He's saying he's not fatigued. Dave Roberts saying he's not fatigued, but I guarantee he's fatigued. I think he is just, just for the fact he's, he's got 157 and third innings right now. Um, he threw 192 in 2013. This is the most innings he's thrown since 2013. And I'm telling you, that, that takes a toll on your body and pitching. You're deep in the season. You're making every fifth start. I know they're going to plan on going to a six-man rotation here to try to give him extra rest, which may help. But for me, that's the biggest thing I've seen. He's not, he's not hitting spots. It's like Jansen. He's not hitting spots. He's missing in the plate too much. If you're going to miss, you need to miss off the plate. Well, and interesting is, is strikeout totals are way up over prior years uh, as well. Yeah, my gut tells me as we enter this last weekend of August that you're going to see one of those uh, phantom uh, sore necks <laughs> sore DL. Neck. Dodgers have had a lot of – they need yeah, to get a, a better chiropractor or something. <laughs> Uh, and, and you know the, the I had a, I had a lot of sore necks during my career too. So it was <laughs> so, mostly from the home runs going over go out of my out of the out of the stadium. Yes, yeah, so, yes, yeah, so, I like that. Sore, <laughs> sore, I was just going to say sore neck is a kind of a baseball term for I need a mental break, so we're going to use the DL. And since they changed the DL to ten days, that's just hey, miss one start, take a take a breather, clear your head. Uh, I like your joke, though, about the sore necks from watching the ball fly out of the yard. So, yeah, I expect to see Hinging go on the DL here in the next uh, few days, uh, skip a start, clear his head, and see maybe rest his arm a little bit, too. Uh, but let's go on to uh, Clayton Kershaw. Wait, I want to get back to Ryu for just a second. Yeah. Um, he walk out, walk out to strike ratio. He had the best in all of baseball going into the All-Star break. Um, I believe he walked only nine people. Um, going into the all-star break and he has 20 walks now. Um, so Twice. to me, to me, that, that, that's telling you he's not throwing as many strikes anymore. Um, and he's not striking out quite as many at that, at that pace. And when you're giving up more hits and you're, and you're walking some more people and you're not striking out, that's, that's like the perfect storm. That's like when that big hurricane gets together from three different places and wipes out cities. That's the same thing that's going on. He's, He's, he's missing spots, whether it's, you know, just missing spots, which can happen, or fatigue setting in. But that's how, that's how it gets out of hand. And you can see, and it's, it's all been in the last four starts. It's not like these starts were spread out first month of the season, you know, month three. It's all here in a span of four games. So let me ask you an interesting question, because, you know, the, the evil empire is the evil empire, and the Yankees came to town. But I always – here's the question. Who has the advantage – 
when you're playing interleague and they've never seen you as a pitcher. I always thought the pitcher that gave the pitcher an advantage over the hitter. I mean, what do you think? Well, I mean, there's a lot of information out now, but you know, I think that's why you see these, these rookies come up and they can go through lineups like, like they're the best pitcher in the league. Cause no one's ever seen them. I think, yeah, for sure. A pitcher that has never faced a team, that pitcher definitely has the advantage. They don't know what kind of life they don't know. Cause you can look on a scouting report and you can see, Oh, he's got, this much movement to the left because it's it's so 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 much of a science now and you can look at all those numbers but till you stand in that box and you see that break or you see his fastball and his slide there's so much things with tunneling now and 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 the rhapsodo machines that until you see that coming at you there's no way to to prepare for it yeah and, and i i think to your point uh, doc uh, i think he's, it was kershaw that he pushed back a day so he didn't have to face atlanta with the, the philosophy being we're going to see these guys in the playoffs in a month and let's uh let's you know not let them get more familiar with kershaw so it sounds like you're a believer in that huh lack of familiarity is an advantage pitcher absolutely absolutely yeah. and it, and it's you know i loved it i loved i loved september when the call-ups came up and you were facing a team and these call-ups came up, guys had never seen you before. I would lick my chops. I'd look at a lineup and go, Oh, there's three guys that are call-ups. They've never seen me before. And in my mind, they were three outs. Nice. So it was just, I already had that mental advantage and it's same, same with facing anybody. But I mean, you know, good hitters are good hitters. The good hitters are going to get hits, but at any little advantage you can get, I'm all for it. So Clayton Kershaw uh, has really, the, the last uh, this year, he's put together a really nice year after a couple of years where it's funny. I think we give Clayton a tough time, but if you looked at his stats, he's still one of the top five or 10 pitchers in the league, but he wasn't Clayton of the years prior this year. He seems to have returned to form a little bit, um, but, but I watch him a lot and seem to think, man, he, he struggles in the first inning. We, we can't get our hands on any stats that show that anybody, any listeners, if you have any stats, let us know. We'd love to see that. But Brett, Talk a little bit more about that. Have you, you, you mentioned that, uh, that you had that experience. Um, how frustrating is that to come out and give some innings and then go lights out for five or six innings after that? Well, yeah, it, it's, it's a tough thing. Um, I went through a stretch in 2013 with St. Louis, that same St. Louis, that same St. Louis year where I was the worst pitcher in, in the first half. And I believe it was 12 or 13, 13, 14 straight starts where I gave up a run in the first inning, at least one run in the first inning. And, you know, it's, it starts getting in your mind and, and, you know, it's one of those things. Why can't I get out the, the, the inning, the inning without giving up a run? And you start trying all sorts of stuff in the bullpen. And I don't know if Kershaw's ERA is higher. I've been trying to do some stats on online to try to see it. And I, I can't track it down, but most pitchers have struggles in the first inning. A lot of them do. And I think it's the fact of, you, you know, you get, you get warmed up in the bullpen, depending on if you're on the road or at home and you get into the dugout and you're sitting there, you're not in a rhythm yet. You're going cold turkey from, you know, just warming up and warmups are never going to dictate, you know, how you're going to throw on the mound. It got to a point where I was having, you know, the coaches stand in and the catchers giving signs like I'm going to throw my first inning in the bullpen. So that when I get out there, my first inning, my, my first inning is kind of like my second inning. I was trying everything in the book to try to mimic a first inning to try to get into a rhythm you know and it's all the lights you get on there you're digging in you're towing up you're you're kicking that dirt out and that first batter there's an adrenaline rush and to keep that under control sometimes it's hard the game speeds up a lot when you get out there you can be i've seen the best pitchers in the bullpen there were a couple guys that i played with that in a bullpen you would watch them and go no one is going to hit this guy 
He's got the nastiest stuff I've ever seen. No one will hit him. And then he gets in a game and he's getting tatted around the yard. And it's just, and that's another mindset thing. My pitching is such a mindset thing. You have to be in the right frame of mind because you can lose it in a minute and then it's over. So here's our first. Oh, move. And was, so, so a little bit on the story. So I think it was on my 15th game. I finally got out of the first inning without giving a run. And the whole starting pitching staff, as I'm walking in the dugouts, top steps, standing ovation, <laughs> pumping right. their fists. Yeah. And it was like, I won the game just in the first <laughs> inning. Cause I finally made it out of the, uh, out of the first inning without giving up a run. So do you remember if anybody got on or was it just a clean inning? No, it was a clean inning. It was nice. a Matt Morris, uh, uh, Woody Williams, those were the two guys. They were just yeah. like it was. It was fun, and it makes you laugh. You're like, oh, I finally did it. I don't those, know what I did the second game after that. I probably gave up a, a run, but who knows? Those are good teammates, man. Keeping you honest. So our first little league reference on this show. So I coached the league for a couple of years, and one of the things I observed was with each pitcher that you get weaker. And I think that's common sense. But in Little League, so many coaches forget that. If a guy's struggling, you can take him out and put the next guy in, but he's usually the next best guy, and you can't, you can't change your mind later. I've always felt like, and it took me a couple of years to adjust to Doc's coaching style because he plays the lefty-righty game so much that I've always felt like, and of course this was a huge topic last year in the series when Rich Hill tossed him the ball and walked off. We've talked about that before. But, Brett, you've been a starter and a reliever. Yes or no? You get weaker when you go to the bullpen. I'm not talking about Brett Tom. I'm talking about pitching. Starting pitching is better than relief pitching. Is that is that no longer true? No, I don't think that's true at all anymore. Um, yeah. You know, I think back in the day, the starters, when you go way back in the day, the Nolan Ryans and stuff like that, Nolan Ryan, he, he didn't want anyone coming in because he figured he was better <laughs> than everyone that was going to come in after him. I, sure. think, I think the game is so specialized now. And there's – I mean, there's roles. There's the, the left-hander mm-hmm. – you know, that's coming in for one batter. That's his specialty. That is what he has been bred for in the minor leagues. That's what he's come up for to face that one left-hander and throw his nasty slider on the outside corner. And that doesn't mean he's better than the pitcher. Let's, let's be honest. If you're in the big leagues, you're pretty good. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. care. And I, to and, say and, the least. To say the least. And it's, <laughs> there's, no one, there's no one bad. And I used to tell, this, I used to tell kids in the minor leagues when, when I was either rehabbing or towards the end of my career when I was down there, when you're in double-A – there's not a whole lot different, like difference in pitching in double A. You hit your spots, you get people out. Those kids down in double A, if you hit your spots, you can pitch in the big leagues. You're good enough to do that. The problem is, is when you make a mistake, you know, Mike Trout's going to hit it a hundred yeah. feet farther than, than your three hole <laughs> hitter in double A. But, you know, everyone is good. And what separates that may be mindset, maybe just experience. But, you know, if, Someone comes in for Verlander. Is he better? Like some of the top echelon pitchers, you know, coin flip. It could be a coin flip. And if you ask Verlander or Kershaw, they may say, no, these, none of these guys are better. But that's what makes them great. But, you know, I think, I think everyone in the big leagues can get the job done on any given day. It just depends if they're, they're trending up or trending down. So I was on the Little League board one year, and they asked me to do the pitching clinic for all these you know, kids that were going from T-ball to pitching. And you, and you, didn't, and you didn't call me? <laughs> You're still playing. <laughs> You're, you were in Cincinnati or somewhere, or New York. So, so I, I, did, I took the white spray paint and drew a T, right, and did the whole, like, keep your body on a parallel line and all that. But I remember calling Matt and saying, hey, you know, like, what should I be teaching these kids? I mean, these are, these are seven-year-olds, right? And he said, well, look, here's the deal in pitching. Here's what they teach big league pitchers. Divide the, the 
played into thirds and paint the inner, paint the outer. But if you leave it over the middle, as you said, Mike Trout's going to hit it about 600 feet. Is that, is that a fair statement? Um, you, maybe you should have given me a pitching lesson while I was in, <laughs> in New York. No, I mean, yeah, I think, you know, the way I used to approach, you know, game plans or, you know, I used to start with halves, you know, outer half, inner half, um, mm -hmm. especially early in the count. And then as the count grew, then I'm, then I'm breaking into the thirds and then expand out even farther when you get in a good rhythm and you're hitting your spots, sure. then it might be fifths. I might be that dialed in where I can nice. go like one or two ball. Never lines. heard that only on yeah. the show. Do you get that kind <laughs> of thinking right there? But I mean, that's your, that's your focus where you got, you got the middle of the plate, you got two lanes there, you got two lanes, you got the black. So, and then, you know, so it, it all depends, but yeah, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm in little league right now. So I, I, my very first year I get out there and I'm playing T-ball and I'm like, I'm ready for this. I'm a major leaguer, right? No way. <laughs> right? I'm a major I know what I'm talking about. And I got a bunch of six year olds out there and I'm like, all right guys, we're going to throw. So I get them on the line. I'm like, Hey, let's throw this. Is how you throw. And I'm teaching, like I would be teaching like a minor league kid or coaching <laughs> like, and I've, I came home and told my wife, I said, I am so overmatched out there. Why did I sign up to do this? Because what I know means nothing. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, but you try to teach the basics. But when it comes down to that, you're right, man. You stay parallel, you drive to the target, and, and you start separating the plate as you go. So let's stay with the, the fifth argument, which I've never heard. Of. I'm a baseball enthusiast, man. So I like the fifth and painting the black. So a question for you, which we all wonder. When the umpire is giving you the, the outer third, or, or, or giving you a spot. He's high, he's low, he's out. It's usually outside when I watch, sometimes inside. Do you and your catcher in between innings kind of go, hey, let's, let's take advantage of this, or how does that oh, work? I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, and each the, – the funny thing is now each umpire, you kind of know what their traits sure. are. You kind of know, hey – and, and I, I've seen programs with umpires that give a spray chart or like a heat-sensing chart of sure. where they called strikes and balls. And you know that going into it, you know that this guy gives, you know, four inches off the plate. You know this guy doesn't call the inside fastball. The hitters it, know that too, though. Yeah, yeah, but it definitely dictates how you might pitch. Um, you know, it, it's a tough thing. Umpires are are human; they make mistakes. And I sure. know there's been, I know with the little league during the little league uh, World Series, there was talks about trying to maybe push towards a um electronic strike zone automated which would have lit which yeah. automated and they're testing it in the atlantic league atlantic it, yeah. no they seriously are they're yeah, testing it there i pitched in the atlantic league it yeah. might have helped me a little bit but they're talking about that which i am absolutely 100 percent against because yeah. i think baseball part of it is human error we make mistakes umpires make mistakes but yeah if an umpire is getting expanding yeah you 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 drive it to that spot you try to you test it you go eight inches out there and see if he's going to give it to you. And if he doesn't, then you move it back in. And there's, there's always a way too to talk to umpires to try to get that extra, you know, few inches out there if you're not getting it. Okay. So, Hey, we're just, this, this show just gets better and better. So I, um, I love watching Justin Turner and Max Muncie manage the umpires, the term I use. Cause I think those guys are both mild men, although both uh, JT at least got tossed a couple weeks ago, but it was because the game ended on a questionable one. But, but as a hitter, that's easy to do. You turn around and the guy can hear you. As a pitcher, you must, there must've been times where you're like, dude, I have to go talk to the umpire because he's killing me here or there. I just need to know this. How did you, the umpire naturally is going to be insulted by you coming to talk to him. So how, what was your tactic? Did you have to send your catcher in to do the dirty work or what was the deal? 
there is such a fine line between doing it the right way and the wrong way. Cause yeah, I mean, I've, I seen, I've seen, I've seen pitchers. If, I mean, if you show any emotion towards the umpire and there were umpire, I remember my first start, it was Harry Windelstadt. I remember and he Harry. was, he was known to be like, senior. what? Yeah. Senior was, what was known not to mess with. And people told me, listen, he's going to test you. Because you're, you're a rip, gonna, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're going to throw a ball right down the middle. He's going to call it a ball. And he's going <laughs> to see what your reaction is. And don't react. Get the ball back. Get, and sure enough, in the first inning, ball right down. I couldn't split it more. Right down the middle. Ball. And he wanted to see how I would, would, would react. My The way I did it, and I thought this always worked the best, and I talked to a lot of umpires, whether you know it was off the field or, or you know in between innings or whatever. This is how I always did it. If there was a pitch that was close that I thought was close, I would try not to react, and I'd always try to hit him when I was walking. Because the umpire will always take his mask off and kind of walk down the line and park it. And I'd always try to walk by, and I always went to him and say, hey, did you have that out or down? I always just said, hey, you're right. You got the right call, but I yeah. need to know where it's at. What, was it too far out? Or was it down? And he said, I got that a little out. You'd be like, all right, I'm going to try to move that in. That way he knows like, yeah, you're like, hey, you got it right, but I got to know. Should I, I'm going to try to move it in a little bit. And it didn't always work, but I'm telling you, more times than not, you throw that, that pitch the next inning, he may give it to you. Sure. You're, not, you're not disrespecting him. You're, 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 it's like with a kid. We both have kids. Sure. If my kid's doing something wrong and I yell at him, the chances of him still doing it are very good. But if I kind of <laughs> ask him like, Hey man, buddy, like, you know, let's not do that. There's a more of a chance of him like understanding that and, and kind of giving me the benefit, benefit of the doubt, which like, just like the umpires. So did somebody teach you that tactic to, to kind of uh, take more of an angle? Oh, towards? absolutely. I mean, I think that's baseball. I mean, we could do a whole show about that. I think that's baseball in a nutshell. You learn from the veterans. You learn from the guys ahead of you. Sure. They teach you, they take you under your wing. They teach you, they show you the right and wrong things to do. And I, I saw, I've seen some guys that don't care. They're going to, they're going to make yeah. hand gestures. They're going to do everything. And maybe, maybe good enough that the umpire may not help them out and not give them the calls, but they don't care. I always wanted as many calls as I could. So I was always trying to be nice. I would, I'd be, I'd be nice to the umpires when they were at first base yeah. and try to make small talk. I figure if they were on my side, I might get that one call in a crucial situation that could get me out of an inning. I always feel bad when the catcher's up to bat and just absolutely gets hosed on a call because you know the catcher just can't say a word because well, he spends an hour back there with the guy. Speaking of that too, the catcher's a huge thing. The catcher, the there's a right and wrong way for a catcher to do it too. If a catcher sure. stands up, takes his mask off, and turns around, you're you're screwed. I mean, because now that that's not what happens. But if a catcher just puts his head down and kind of says, "Hey, do you got that out?" I think that. And the catcher can be, I think, a little more vocal than the pitcher because they're, they've worked with these guys a lot more. They're right next to – They're, they're almost like classmates at this yeah, point, Yeah, they're right? giving, they're, yeah. They're basically giving them the umpire piggyback. So yeah. they, can, they can be like, my, hey, that pitch is on the corner. you got to start you got to start helping my pitcher out. They can be a little more forceful than I think we can. The it right way to do that is after the batter walks away, though, right? You don't want to be lobbying in front of another batter. <laughs> I mean, I, both ways. Yeah, I think there's more time in between batters, but I've seen catchers do it you know, mid bat, mid batter. Cause it might be a situation when you're in the sixth or seventh inning where that next pitch may be the pitch that gets you out of an inning. So, sure. you know, good catchers wit. And that's the same thing. Catchers that have been around that have the respect. If Sandy Alomar jr. Would have done it. It would have been a lot different than when Russell Martin came up his first year. Sandy's yeah. going to get those benefits that that umpire is going to let him get away with a little bit more than Russell would have been. At. 
So, so I know we got to wrap up here in the next few minutes, but um, I always, whenever I'm watching a game and the catcher just absolutely misses a ball, not a foul tip, and it, it dings the umpire, uh, I always say to my kids, I'm all, watch this. It's going to come right down the middle, and I'm just not going to call it. Did you ever see that happen? I mean, is that true if the catcher misses something and the ump just kind of pays him back? Oh, I mean, it, it, yeah. I mean, if you're an umpire and you're getting what happens in Little League, we had some. I had a catcher boxing balls, and the umpires were taking balls off the shin, and the umpire's <laughs> like, "Dude, you have to tell your catcher to catch start the ball or start catching the ball." And I'm, I'm getting back to my, my little nine year old kid. I'm like, "You got to start catching the ball. You're not gonna." And I went like straight into like big league mode. You're not gonna get us those calls on those on those borderline pitches. <laughs> the little league ump had to run um, to the shack and we, get the big pillow thing between innings, dude. I want to do <laughs> a whole school, podcast huh? on little league. We'll, we'll throw a little. Dodgers but man my last year Little League and this year Little League coming in man it's it's it gets intense and I never thought it was going to be intense like that but it's it's been a lot of fun but you know the Dodgers I think they're it they're in a they're in a crucial situation right now and I know I know no one wants to panic and no one says you know everything's great everything's going to work out we're just going to give our guys some rest but I think they're on that they're on that little that ledge right now where they're looking over going Ooh, that looks that looks pretty steep right there, and they need to figure out how to take a step back and, and figure this out because with Jansen's problems and and Ryu kind of struggling right now, um, you know those are two of your major components of your pitching staff that you need on, um, and if they don't they don't figure this out quick, it's going to be an interesting last month leading into the playoffs. So Brett, we're gonna wrap, I'm gonna we're gonna wrap this up because we're gonna do a whole another show uh, with my brother Matt Luke talk playoff roster. But we we're hearing through the grapevine that Rich Hill might not be ready for the playoffs. So uh, as I look at the playoff roster, okay, um, I don't think Ross Stripling's on it. Uh, it's just a numbers game. It's no disrespect to him, but his numbers just don't match up with anybody anybody else that's going to be on the roster. If Rich Hill is not on the, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. I'm good at that, right? If Rich oh, Hill's yeah. not on the roster and we need a fourth starter. Is it Tony Gonsolin? Is it Kenta Maeda? Who is it? I don't know. Should we talk about this on the next episode? Or oh, that's a good tease. Right Look at that. Yeah, don't call I, us I'm, I'm you, I have some ideas, but like, <laughs> I figure like, I'm going to waste it if I say it right here. We'll have to have people tune into the next episode for that one. All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is episode five of the Dodger Dudes. Josh, Luke, and Brett Tomko. Brett, thanks for all that great insight, man. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to the Dodger Dudes show with the former Dodger pitcher Brett Tomko and Josh the Duker Luke. Whether you're at the stadium, on your couch, or at work, don't forget to interact with the hosts on social media at the Dodger Dudes on Twitter and Facebook. That's the Dodger Dudes on both Twitter and Facebook. Check out other SoCal sports podcasts at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. Now go vote on our Twitter and Facebook fan poll and tune in again soon. Game on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.